Camera speeds. A mark. Hello and welcome to the Focus Puller at Work podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Cunell, and on today's episode, I'll be chatting with Focus Puller Chris Steele. Chris is based in the United Kingdom and on set just goes by Steele, which in my book is a very cool name for a Focus Puller. We'll talk about how they got into the industry before we get into a very detailed conversation about Preston's Light Ranger 2. We'll cover how it works, where it has its drawbacks, the Preston ecosystem in general, and how the Light Ranger compares to the CINRT. And last but not least, Steel identifies as non-binary and was kind enough to open up about what it's like to introduce themselves as someone who uses they, them as pronouns. This really means a lot to me because discrimination and hatred should have no place in this world whatsoever and we should all accept and respect our colleagues the way they are. All of that and much, much more on today's episode of the Focus Polar at Work podcast. Chris, thank you very, very much um, for um, sharing your time with us and uh, being on the pod today. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Chris, first of all, uh, I have to say Chris Steele is probably the coolest name for an AC uh, ever because you just sound like a superhero to me. It's pretty it's pretty dope. I like it. <laughs> and most of the time on set, I, I go by just Steele. That's even better. so many Chris's everywhere. Ah, sweet. <laughs> Um, Chris, um, um, we're going to talk about the, the Preston Light Ranger um, today, kind of like in depth and in detail, but um, I'm very interested in uh, your background as well. Like, where do you come from? Uh, what was the path you chose? Like, how did you end up being uh, or becoming a focus puller? Uh, I mean, I started as a runner. I started as a spark uh, in lighting, running cables um, when I was still at uni doing graphic design and fine art stuff um just trying to earn a living and through that i found camera department um, i ended up being a general ac in like fashion films and like short films not really knowing what i was doing <laughs> but getting by making things work um and slowly through time uh, finding other focus pullers that taught me a lot um and eventually moved into like loading film uh, super 16 super 35 okay. and then through that learning how to focus pull the traditional way and moving as soon as i became a focus puller um, about seven years ago now uh didn't touch film again for like four years okay because i that's um, kind of where it went in yeah i've been a focus puller for like uh, about six years now and i've i mean i've seen a film camera in my very early days um as a uh god what, what, what was i uh a trainee i guess for a commercial production company or something so it was the first job that i was on um it was in a 435 and then uh i haven't seen a film camera ever since um but maybe maybe we'll dive into that a little uh, later but have you always uh, wanted to be in film or was that something that you just stumbled upon i've always been interested in uh, motion image uh, whenever I was doing uh, graphic design and fine art stuff at university or before that I, film was always a big reference for what I did um, but it was I was far more interested on the technical side of the filming uh, rather than the storytelling um, from what I wanted to do I, I mean I love the stories of films but 
when I came to making them, I was like, oh no, but I I want to <laughs> I want to play with the cameras. I want to play with the, the the lenses. That that's really cool. And do you at this point um, do you share your work between uh, features and commercials, or are you sticking to the narrative world uh, for the most part? Um, mostly in this last two years, it's been uh, commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done two uh, narratives, like long form narrative this year. Uh, I did a TV drama and I did a feature film, uh, but I only get one, maybe two a year of those sort of narrative longer form things. Uh, throughout all of 2020, I didn't get any long form. And in 2019, I only had one. But before that, um, I did like four features in a row, three Chinese, one Indian, like, okay, so like, It, it has changed a lot. It's gone from lots of narrative to lots of uh, commercials now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, there, there weren't as many features um, and TV shows produced in 2020 because of COVID? Or was that just coincidence that you just didn't didn't get the calls for oh, more features? Just coincidence. Okay. It was just the sorts of people I was working with. Um, I know for a fact there was a lot of dramas going because I couldn't get crew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a phoning around all my loaders, phoning around all the trainees. Are you available? No, sorry, I'm busy for the next six months on Marvel, Disney, whatever it was. Well, it sounds <laughs> like, pretty good, though. I mean, uh, you know, at least business is booming over there. Um, because, yeah, yeah I, I know that everyone kind of got uh, hit by COVID, but it seems like, in Germany at least, it seemed like the the film industry was still running. I mean, there was the first lockdown, but pretty much after the first lockdown, um, yeah. people got back to work. And uh, and I have to say this year, it was, I mean, it was what you just described. It was really, it was it was incredibly hard to find any sort of a, a loader, a trainee, a video operator, like whatever. It, it was very, very hard during the summer to find anybody. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was good, I guess, for, for us because we, we're in a pretty good position when it came to negotiating rates and stuff. Um, but it also, when, when you were on the receiving end, like I was, uh, I was on a feature and I was looking for a B camera, um, uh, first and I, I just couldn't find one. It was, uh, it was basically impossible. Um, and then you're on set the entire time, just thinking about like, where can I find another AC, which kind of sucks because it takes your mind off the actual work that is to be done there. Yeah. I mean, there was one show where we were supposed to have uh, motion control, like huge like rig going all the way around this thing. It was like, we can't find that, you know, that person's booked. You know, we've got 10 people that can do that. They're all booked <laughs> for the next year. We can't get them. So we just have to do uh, a grip trainee and a dolly but, and hope that it works. But did it work out in the end? I mean, we we found a way of adjusting things to make it fit, but it, it doesn't, it wasn't motion control. Oh, okay. But you, so you, you had to find a, a workaround basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Turning the poor grip into a motion control rig. <laughs> yeah, that does get tricky. Um, and because you mentioned earlier that um, you did start um, pulling focus on, on film. Um, do you think, uh, was that a, a hard transition for you to like go to digital is there because i saw um on instagram and i i thought that was a very uh, interesting thought there was a picture of uh, your focus stand and uh, in the description you said that it was kind of hard for you to adjust like especially during these 
um, COVID times that like you can't be as close to the camera as you used to. So I assume that like yeah. working on film, you were trying to be as close to the operator or DP as, as possible. And, uh, and in the digital world, um, and I've experienced this myself, everyone's just like, nah, just stand over there. <laughs> you don't have to be so close. Um, but uh, how was that transition period for you? I mean, for the first three, four years of being a focus puller, I didn't touch a wireless focus outside of Steadicam. Mm -hmm. So I was on the camera. I was on an FF3 or equivalent FF4 of small manual focus. If I had a monitor, it was tiny. It was rubbish. And then it, it was, was just mounted not... to the to the side of the camera? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was not something that I looked too closely at. It was a reference monitor. It was just, oh, when we're really, really close, I can see, am I on the inside of the eye, outside of the eye? Have I actually gone too far and gone to the nose or whatever that is? But it was never a, all right, I'm just looking at the monitor and focusing off that. I'm looking, you know, there's the triangle, there's the, the talent, the lens, and then the monitor is the triangle. Mm -hmm. But when stuff gets hectic, the monitor disappears I'm now just looking at the lens and the actor okay. so I can just match the two. Um, but now moving away from that and being on a wireless unit all the time, it used to be at least, you know, before COVID, I could have the Preston in my hand, the monitor on the Preston, and I could be walking up around next to it and getting a good vantage point. Um, but then COVID, I can't be in the same room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, I wasn't even really in the same building Okay. You know, the stuff is <laughs> recently I did a, a thing where I can't be in the building. Like they're shooting in the kitchen and they can see out into the hallway and further down the hallway, I don't have signal. It doesn't reach that far because of the really thick concrete brick walls. So I have to be outside the patio windows hidden behind a curtain. Oh man. To be able to Yeah, those. So I can't hear anything. I can't see anything. Yeah, those are really. I I hate those scenarios. Um, I've had this, uh, happening to this year, and it's really like you feel so disconnected so quickly because you don't. And we didn't use intercoms either. And then you were just like, I I have no clue what's happening, and you feel. I, I felt like I would let let the DP down in that moment because it's like I, I can't be there. So I kind of like told my second, hey, you know, you gotta. You you gotta be in there as much as you can, and be my eyes and and ears and just you know if, if they need something just let me know and then um, we can go from there. But yeah, you feel very disconnected very quickly. Yeah, sometimes asking the sound department for uh, comms or some of their like belt pack units that can be really helpful. Yeah, uh, so you can at least hear what the actors are saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I mean, it depends. Like, if you have one actor who is just like, you know, it's it's just a close up of that actor, then you know it's like you, that actor has to be sharp. Either way, it doesn't really yeah. doesn't really matter. But like, if you know, if there's something going on and you see more than than one person in the frame, then absolutely, yeah, you should you should definitely hear what's happening. Um, but so you kind of had to adjust to that and then did you did you uh I mean, like slowly moving towards the the Light Ranger theme here, but um how did you adjust at first? Like you, you had a Preston in your hand and then um, did you get a bigger monitor? Like how, how did you transition into that? Uh, so I started out with a, a Preston 
uh, when I could afford it. And just a five inch monitor on the thing, being able to walk around freely with it. And uh, one of my DPs uh, worked with another focus puller who had a light ranger and told me uh, how good it actually was in person. I've been talking with Preston about it for a while, um, but he convinced me to buy a light ranger. And I didn't change anything else. I just put the light ranger on my kit, um, saw how I liked it with the understanding that if I didn't like it, people were buying them. I could always sell it on and not lose too much money. But so at that point, you had already had a the hand unit three or what What did you have in terms of like Pres the Preston world? So I had the hand unit three MDR4 um, mm -hmm. and Hidane motors and really just trying to make it as lightweight and as compact as possible because everyone uses the WCU4 and they're not used to MDRs anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that it was as small as possible, put it on movies, put it on handheld rigs and the people don't notice that it's there is the intention. Mm -hmm. uh, but I already had that for 18 months at that point. Okay. Maybe and then, two years. And then, but you said an MDR4, right? Yes. Okay. And the MDR, so because I looked it up, so there's a difference between the MDR3 and the MDR4 and I think the MDR4 is smaller, um, but yeah. it is uh, limited to only two channels. Is that is that correct? Yeah. The MDR4 is like half the size and half the weight of the MDR3. MDR3 does four channels, focus iris, zoom, and then an auxiliary channel. Um, the MDR4 only does two channels. MDR4 doesn't have uh, type code and metadata recording, whereas the MDR3 has metadata recording and aerial channels. You can do a lot more when it comes to 3D, uh, mm -hmm. and it can do a lot more when you've got... Um, boxes involved and full lens data uh, being saved onto a drive it's got that available to it whereas the mdr4 doesn't have that sort of metadata lens data recording for vfx okay is that something that um you would like to have to would you say that it's worth it to have the smaller um the smaller size of the of the mdr or um would you rather have the the MDR3 at this point? Um, for me, the MDR4 is perfect. Okay. Um, I rarely need three channels, let alone four. When I do need a zoom, uh, as well as an iris control, usually the zoom is on a microphone separate. Um, mm. With the light ranger, that gets complicated. So if I was on a job where I definitely needed focus, iris, and zoom all the time, I would need the MDR3 so that the zoom control would interface with the light ranger and do you um in the uk do you have the uh the the option to to rent uh, an mdr3 if you need one because in germany uh preston is i mean i i, I don't want to say that there's nobody who has it but uh i don't know of anybody who has any sort of preston you know as part of their kit um, is that different in the UK? Do, would you have the possibility to rent uh, Preston things? Um, there's so many rental houses in London uh, and the Preston has been here for a very long time. So we've got a bunch of Preston kits going around as full rental packages. 
And so if I wanted the MDR3, I would probably have to rent an entire uh, Preston kit with an MDR3 okay. and then just okay. substitute pieces that I wanted from my own kit. Okay, but so for the most part, you're happy with the with the MDR three and your um and both the MDR three and uh, sorry with the MDR four and both the MDR four and the MDR three connect to the Light Ranger through a serial cable. Yes. So both of them are ready yeah. ready for the Light Ranger. Yeah, if you were to buy any uh, Preston MDR right now, they're all uh, Light Ranger two capable if they're brand new. Uh, it's only the very I mean, one of the older versions of the MDR three that can't. Um, but you can firmware upgrade it to at least interface with the Light Ranger. But the MDR2 and the MDR1 do not talk to the Light Ranger at all. Okay. And also, the Light Ranger is Preston only. Okay. You can't use it with a WCU4, unfortunately. Okay. And before you had the uh, Light Ranger, before you were using that, did you use any any other sort of? Did, did you have a Cinetape or uh, CineRT or anything like that, or was that the very first rangefinder system that you that you got and used? I've had the Cinetape on, you know, rented in Cinetapes a lot. Uh, mixed levels of use, <laughs> like occasionally looking at it, a lot of the time not looking at it. Kind of sometimes it feels like it's a, a dead weight on some jobs. It just gets in the way. It's an extra thing to drain power that I'm not really looking at. And sometimes I look at it a lot. When the Cine RT came out, I found I was using that a lot more. You know, it's a brilliant system. I was really between Cine RT and Light Ranger. I didn't really know which one to go with. Um, I was debating. I was renting one and renting the other, renting one and renting the other. Uh, And I really love the CDRC system because of I can actually have the readout where I want it to be and I can use it. Whereas the um, Cinetape, I didn't find I could use that information quickly enough. Okay. But while we're um, on the CineRT, then um, with with a Preston system, because um, on the what I what I like so much about the WCU4 or now the High Five is that um, through the L Cube like you get the um the information like in sh like in the arrow shape on the display of the WCU4 and um so sometimes it's just like a video game kind of like where you you know if, if an actor is moving for example you just line up um both of those arrows next to each other um but since on the hand unit 3 of uh, of the Preston you don't like you, you do have a display but it's not nearly as uh as big and sophisticated as on the, as it is on the WC4 or the High Five. Um, so the only thing you would get is just a, a numerical readout. Yes, on the hand unit three, that is the case. On the hand unit four, you get much the same as you would with your High Fives and your hand unit um, WCU4s. Okay. You get that. And was that something that, that, sorry, was that something that, that kind of bothered you that, that you only had the numerical readout or uh, is that something you're used to anyway that you just, you know, match those numbers? Because I, I, I never can. Like, I really, I I love the fact so much that on the WC4 I have that, like, optical kind of help in terms of, or like in, in shape of an arrow where it's just like, okay, this, this, this is my video game mentality, I guess, that kind of kicks in. Yeah, I, I found that if I was using... A cinetape that I couldn't really look at the, the small screen and check the numbers against where I am on the hand wheel. But um, now with the Light Ranger, because it's all up on a screen, that's you, it's a lot easier if it's up on the screen because you you don't have to look at your hand unit at all. 
because the overlay does all of that with the Light Ranger too. Um, but compared to the WCU four with the like CineRT, and you get that little green arrow, that is really nice um, using that system. But when you're on the Preston, you you're not doing hand unit only in the same way. But if you've got the CineRT on the Preston, you've got a much larger uh, numbers display, which helps. And do, um, you, do you think, um, would you say that it, at this point it's like an advantage to just have all the information on the on the monitor? Because, you know, you're, you're also kind of like, it makes the, the monitor uh, uh, almost necessary or mandatory. Um, would you prefer to have like a, a display on the hand unit that, that would kind of like give you a visual readout as well? Or are you cool with the way it is? I mean... For me, what I would really like is that Light Ranger 2 overlay just on a nice big screen, no reference image, just the bars on on the screen, on a nice big screen. And that means I could run around and get that. So I could be near camera, get an idea of what's being read, but really just kind of concentrate on matching things up um, distance wise. And just seeing what uh, uh, it's difficult to explain. <laughs> But are are you saying that basically you would you would you would look at it without without an actual image, like really just the bars? I mean, I've done it before. Um, we've had systems where um, I've been on the five inch uh, monitor and had the Light Ranger two going into it and the Teradek feed went down for whatever reason. And we just keep going because there's, we, we're just in the middle of an hour long take. So I just keep going and it works. You know, if I can still see what's going on, I kind of get an understanding of what those readings are so I can still make use of them. They're not as foolproof as if I've got a video overlay, but If you're there in person and you've got that overlay information, I think that's the like dream. But if you can't be in the room, which you know with COVID at the moment is so common, yeah. uh, being outside of the room with a video feed and the bars is the next best thing to being in the room. Yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, of course you could you could use the the bars without seeing an image. Mm. Hmm, interesting. Um, And so at some point, uh, you decided to pull the trigger on your own Light Ranger and you bought one. Um, uh, you, you said that you have uh, rented the Light Ranger out on a couple of occasions, but like, how, did, it, did it take a long time to you know, convince you to buy one or was it really just a couple times and you were like, yeah, that system is great and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it, I'm going to add it to my kit? I used it at trade shows um, several times. Uh, and really kind of liked it, but was confused by it at the same time, <laughs> uh, especially talking to Howard. Um, like it, it intrigued me, and I really liked the idea of it, uh, but it wasn't until I, I went to Optical Support and rented a unit several times that I really started to understand it. And it's, And then I think it was, I think it was the second day that I had it, that I'd managed to tweak it and adjust it and get all the settings how I liked them. 
and making sure that the way I turn the wheel lines up with how I move the bars and that all makes sense in my head and becomes instinctive. As soon as it started to be instinct and I stopped seeing the bars, which was just day two, mm. I was like, right, I'm buying one. That was <laughs> fairly quickly. Away, like, I want this. Awesome. Um, and But when you first got the system, you were still on a on a five-inch monitor. Yes. Correct? Um, do, do you think the rectangles on a five-inch monitor were large enough or would you say that it's or would you recommend like if someone got a, a system that you know a seven inch might be better or maybe even a 13 inch or do you think that a five inch is still still doable i mean if you're needing to be mobile and you want to build it into a in the hand uh you know battery on the belt uh video unit on the belt cable going up to the hand unit a five inch is still wonderful um it's big enough sharp enough um, if you've got the small HDs, it's definitely going to be bright enough for you. Um, one thing that I would say is the five inch is a little small. If you want to see through the bars at the sharpness of the image, um, if there's if the person's quite small in the frame, that can be quite tricky. If you're doing stuff at you know on a fairly wide lens at some distance, mm. and you still need to be critically sharp, a five inch is kind of small for that. Um, a seven inch is what I use most of the time and that feels like a good middle ground where I can still be I can still take it in the hand if I need to it's kind of heavy but I can also be on a stand and be quite small footprint uh, and out of the way um, with the seven inch with the 13 um, which is you know you can see the image very well through the bars and you can do stuff at quite some range mm. uh, and still be able to definitely know that you're sharp. I mean, the light range is going to give you the where you need to be, but having that confidence, I think, is where the 13 really excels. If you're doing a lot of work where you're nowhere near subject, I think that's where you, you would need something mm. that big. But most of the time, if you can get your head in the room occasionally, uh, seven inches is pretty good. And I think that gives you the opportunity to get in the room because your footprint is so small. Okay, how... Uh, how tricky is it then to to rig the whole thing if you you know say you want to use your hand unit just throw a monitor on top and then you have to add that Preston overlay box um, is it is it a daunting task to put all of that together or do you think it's still manageable and you can fairly easily carry it around with you? Um, what I have seen and what I've done. Um, seen some other people with the light ranger um, they've either had it bolted through a, a cheese plate to the back of their monitor mm -hmm. um, there's several options available depending on what monitor you're using um, and that means you just put a, the Teradek feed up to your hand unit and then you've got all the controls up on your monitor and you've got it all there and that's fairly simple once you've got that done the other way is having the entire system in a bag um, mm -hmm. that is what I've done where I need to be really light in the hand and have the unit in my hand all day for weeks on end um, so having then, all the weight so th then basically just to get this right so you, you have the overlay box yep. in a bag and then you just yep. run cables so you're basically only carrying the, the hand unit with a monitor on top yes Okay. and the battery and the is battery, also the Teradek and the video unit all in, in the, a 
Okay. Do you? Because I've never done that. Do, do you have any uh, issues with reception when you do that? Um, you put the Teradek on the outside of the bag. Okay. Um, that helps with heat as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly it's fine. I use it on a around my waist rather than over a shoulder. Okay. Um, so I can kind of turn my hip towards the camera if I start getting feed. But I mean, I'm if I'm doing that, I'm generally fairly close to the camera. Okay. The reception isn't that big a deal. Yeah. Um, uh, the way I have it most of the time is monitor on top of the stand, video unit bolted uh, with a speed clamp just to the side of the, the yeah. stand, all cabled up, um, okay. run that way so I can see the buttons that I'm pressing. Do you tend to... Um... You know, when you start a project, do you tend to like stick to one monitor? Say, you know, you have your seven-inch monitor, and you just use that for the entire project, or is there are there occasions where you like rent another, like I say, a thirteen-inch, and then you really switch between a seven-inch and a thirteen-inch? Um, the sort of projects that I'm getting, I'm, you know, there for a day or two, mm-hmm. um, so I'm just bringing in my own monitor. Mm-hmm. I'm using the seven for most of it. I've only rented out the 13 a handful of times. Uh, I'm asking because I I, re- I think, because I, I just sold my uh, 703 Bolt uh, and ordered a 503, which I hope is going to, I mean, I ordered it like three months ago, so it, it, should, <laughs> it should hopefully <laughs> arrive at some point. Um, but I really think that, you know, at some point I'm going to regret that I did that uh, and I'm going to realize that for, some, as you said earlier, you know, for say like a really wide shot the five inch might be a little too small um and i i'm intrigued by having a 13 inch and a five inch and then kind of like uh just daisy chain them together so you can use both of them with different settings um and then just you know untether them and you can then just take the hand unit and your five inch monitor and walk away with it if you if you have to uh that's why i was asking so because that will kind of like be my dream setup we'll see if that's ever going to happen yeah i mean the 13 and the 5 together that is a really wonderful way of doing it um especially now that you've got large format and wide open lenses mm-hmm. you know the radiance is at 1.3 on the venice full frame i yeah. mean it's so shallow that you know you kind of do need a at least a 7 just to be able to see where your sharp is yeah, what I what I do love about the the five inch um, size though is that the pixel per inch, uh, like the density of the pixels, is so much better than say on a thirteen. Um, so it just like if you if you need to punch in, if you need to zoom in to like see critical focus in a close up, um, I think that that's where it really has its advantages. Um, mm. But yeah, maybe maybe one day, maybe if my wife will what? ever let me spend another four grand on a monitor. <laughs> What I really like about the larger monitors is the eye relief. So with a five, I'm here, mm. like right in front of my face. With the seven, I'm at arm's length. And with the 13, I'm leaning back in the chair. So if I need to do the punch in, I lean forward. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a physical punch in. Yeah, that makes sense too. Um, yeah. I don't know. I tend to uh, be very close to any monitor that I'm using anyway. And so... Um, I, I've only used a 13-inch monitor uh, one, like just to play around with it, and it, it it felt soft to me for the for the majority of the part, and I think it was 
it was really just because I was too close to the monitor the entire time because I was so used to like looking at my seven inch monitor. Um, so I think that's probably also uh, a learning curve. Um, but speaking of a uh, learning curve, um, back to the uh, to the Preston system because everyone, um, you know, I read some articles that you know where other ACs were interviewed that were using the Light Ranger. And everyone kind of said the same thing that it's it's kind of like a very steep learning curve in the beginning, but then once you get the hang of it, it turns into something super intuitive. So you basically, you know, you you look at your monitor, you line up what whatever needs to be in focus, you line it up with the you know to be within the green rectangles, and that sounds amazing, but it also like sounds like it's too good to be true. But do you like? what's your experience is it really that good like if you just you know you you use it once you get used to it you go like yeah that's it's it's great it's it just works yeah the the initial learning curve is quite steep um but if you've got the time to be in a rental studio and have somebody in front of the camera and you line it up and you turn the wheel and you make sure that the bars move in the way that you expect them to move because they can move up to infinity or down to infinity. And if you move the wheel one way, do you want the bars to move this way or that way? That sort of first um, part of learning the system is probably the most important bit because, mm. you know, I handed over the my hand unit and uh, to... Uh, another focus puller, Fabio, and he said, it's all going the wrong way. <laughs> he's, he picks, he's like, but it's all going backwards. Why is it all going backwards? So you flip one thing and then, oh, it's instinct. Okay. It just, it just works. Um, and as soon as you get your head in that mode or you set it up to the way that your brain works, the way that you think about where focus is going to move, it becomes instinct and you stop seeing the bars you look through the matrix okay. <laughs> and it just kind of just happens. Nice. Well, that, that does sound uh, very good, but I think that's where, because, so, because you can compare the two, because you've used the SynRT um, quite yeah. a bit as well before you were, uh, you know, you got your Light Ranger. Um, is there, I mean, obviously, you know, you would prefer the Light Ranger because it's part of your kit and, it, you know, it makes sense for you. Um, but if you had to decide all over again, um, would you say that there that the Light Ranger has a, a significant advantage over the SynRT, or do you think they're both really good systems, just in a different way? Like, you know, where do you stand on that? I mean, I want both. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yeah, don't I want we all? <laughs> um, but if I'm going to be spending my own money on it, which I have been. Um, then I would be pushing for the Light Ranger, okay, um, and renting the Cineati when I need it, which is what I've been doing. Because even after I've got the Light Ranger, some projects they want the camera super lightweight, which is understandable. It needs to go in a Trinity, or it needs to, you know, be in the hand, really tiny in a tight space inside a car. Then yeah, I think in those circumstances the Cineati excels because okay. of how lightweight it is. And that's because the um, just the, the 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 sheer size and the weight of the of those uh, light ranger boxes is just it's, are they that much heavier and bigger? Um, 
they're a little bit taller than the Sunyatis. They're a little bit longer or about the same size in terms of depth. But the weight of them is, uh, the M is 450 grams, I think. Okay. So it, it's that's a light lens. Yeah, that's significant <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. And when the DP is trying to pull as much off of camera as possible, you know, they're, they're saying they only want uh, WC4. They want the battery off the back. They want, uh, you know, everything moved away. They want the pterodactyl off on the back as well yeah. like they'll those circumstances yeah the yeah. CRT you can convince them to put that on yeah um <laughs> i also think that it's you know it's a little bit tricky like say you know take germany for example um i, I to my knowledge there's nobody around here that owns a preston system i mean that's that doesn't mean that there is nobody in Germany who has one, but I don't know of some. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there are not many people who own anything Preston related. And, um, you know, since this is every country, you usually go to a rental house in the WCU4 or now the High 5 is kind of like the standard FIS that you get anyway. So I would say most ACs don't own their own FIS. And so, um, like... In my case, for example, I would always get a WCU4 or a Hi5, and the only thing that I wanted to add was a rangefinder. So it made sense for me to just buy a CineRT, uh, um, and luckily, Absolutely. you know, now they kind of like teamed up and and kind of integrate the whole CineRT system into the Hi5. But that's a lucky coincidence, I guess. Um, but the, you know, now I'm I'm talking about like ten thousand dollars give or take um and the problem with a preston system would be that i think for the light ranger yes i'd be talking about ten thousand dollars give or take but i think i would have to add so much to the whole to the to the entire system like i'd have to buy a preston hand unit a preston mdr uh preston motors or any sort of motors that that fit with it um so i think that's really for me where it that's kind of like the downfall of the whole thing is that all of a sudden I'm talking like twenty five or $30,000 plus, um, whereas I could just buy a CineRT and be happy with a, with a high five. So I really, I think it depends on the market as well. If you're in a market where Preston is dominant um, or at least, you know, kind of like 50-50 with, uh, with Airy and C-Motion, then I think, you know, uh, it makes sense to think about it. Um, if you're in a country like Germany, I think it's, kind of tricky to justify <laughs> the investment yeah <clears throat> yeah i think if you're not in the market for your own full of focus if you're only in the market for a rangefinder, then yeah something like the cinearty makes sense um preston is really you know if you're going to a rental house and you're always asking them look we need to get a preston and a light ranger for this project and here's why and they can justify that expense and you get the rental house to buy it for you yeah but then and the then question you... is do you always get it when you need it or is it always out exactly. on some other jobs <laughs> yeah but that's why i saved up the money yeah. made the sacrifices and uh got my own because i was i i needed that reliability yeah. and i think it's a no-brainer you know if you if you already have a say uh, a hand unit three or maybe even a hand unit four and some 
you know, if you already if you already bought into the Preston universe, then I think it's a no brainer because then it just makes sense to have Preston's yeah. own kind of uh, rangefinder system that just really works well with with all the other Preston components. Um, so yeah, but that's a that's a little bit of a it's a bummer for everyone who's uh, not in a Preston country, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it, I think there are some places in Germany that you can get, but they probably only have two. <laughs> like there must be I'm, I'm, some of the bigger because other we've uh, flown out to and rented in locally before, and there's been a Preston in the kit. Yeah, in Germany, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure there is there is a place. I mean, it, it must exist somewhere, but I just. I don't think I've ever talked to any German AC who's ever mentioned that they that they used to press them before. Um, yeah, I really I can't. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a it's every country. It, it is what it is. You can't change that. <laughs> um, um, then also I wanted to ask you um, just to make sure you you do own the the medium and the white, uh, like the the two box kind of uh, setup. You don't have the the original light ranger which is only one uh one box right um so the light ranger 2m which is the one that i got first yeah. that is the updated version of the original light ranger 2 okay um the light ranger original the you know light ranger 1 um came out a long time ago um but didn't really make it to market um okay so it was really so we're talking about the Light Ranger two, but then there was the like the original yeah. Light Ranger two, and then that got updated by the Light Ranger two, medium, and yeah. wide. Yeah. Okay. And is there a difference between um, the Light Ranger two and then the the updated version of the Light Ranger two? So the M has been updated to an LED laser module mm -hmm. or LED. Um, infrared module and the original light ranger 2 had a laser module um which have very similar characteristics yeah. you know they're doing the same thing um the light ranger 2 uh those lasers have better um penetration when it comes to deep smoke and going through multiple layers of glass okay whereas the light ranger 2m doesn't quite have the same um penetration through smoke um it still does very well it's just not as as much um okay but are there any advantages then to the to the led uh or to the you know since they switch to led or is that is it basically it only a lot of weight off the system okay it takes a lot of weight off the system and it reduces power draw by a bit as well yeah um it's makes also the whole unit smaller. Exactly, it's significantly smaller. I, th I think when yeah. I when I saw that correctly on the pictures. Um, okay, um, but the so the but the wide is still the regular laser. The wide is also the new LED system. Also, okay, so that allowed them, them to get it smaller and get the different, uh, yeah, different fields of view. Okay, and when when do you usually uh, switch between the two units? Like, is there like you know, whenever you go above and you know under forty mil, or where's the cutoff? Uh, so the W works best between 
uh, on a Super 35 sensor between like 14 mil up to the 40 mil. Um, and if you're on that set of lenses for the whole job, never change from the W. And if you occasionally go to the 50, it's not really worth changing okay. just for the a couple shots on the 50 mil. But if you know that you're jumping around and going between 35 up to 150, then you generally switch to the M. Um, I believe they are working on a, a tight version, which is 100 mil plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure when that's if that's been announced properly. Might just be rumors. Um, but do you see used... do you see a use for that, or are you actually happy with the with the medium, even even when it comes to tighter lenses? I mean, I have used the the W on shots with the 150 mil. Okay. <laughs> and that's been that's been fine. It's not been ideal, okay. but it's given me what I need, and we got the shot. Yeah. You know, we didn't have time to be jumping around. We were away from the main unit, so it was, I didn't have everything with me. So, oh, the W will be fine, yeah. and it was. Okay. Um, I think if you're doing more complicated shots, uh, where you're on a very very long lens, if you're on a 250. And you need to be very critical when you're coming right down to close focus. I think the tight would be useful mm-hmm. to have a lot more precision. Um, and then uh, while we're on the uh, you know the medium and the wide box, maybe you can help me with this because I was going through the manual just to you know just because I was curious. Um, there was something that I didn't really understand. It said that the medium, uh, the Light Ranger medium box had to be tilted. At like three degrees, and the wide uh, box had to be tilted at five degrees. Um, why is that, and how critical or how important is that? Why do we do so that? So that is actually the vertical field of view of the units. So the the way the Light Ranger Two works is it sends out a field or a fan a horizontal array Mm -hmm. of dots and each of those dots is lined up just next to each other Mm -hmm. you can see how that makes a long line but it doesn't give you any much uh, verticality Mm -hmm. so those dots are on the m about uh three degrees of field of view tall oh okay the three degree dots so on the m that's a three degree on the W that's a five degree dot. Okay. So that five degrees is how much field of view it has um, vertically. Okay. But do you, I mean, you, you probably just do this by, uh, you know, by like looking at it and, and kind of like, uh, go like, yeah, that, that looks like about five degrees or (laughs) it looks about three because you don't, you don't really like measure that. Do you? No, you don't really need to do, um, tilting to account for that field of view that field of view just so that you know when you're pointing it out over something you're not going to get their waist you're not going to get their feet okay. you want to be trying to tilt it where in frame their upper body and their head is going to be gotcha okay so um, you could adjust that too when 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 needed so you know if the, if the yeah. shot kind of lines up in a weird kind of way then you you probably just adjust that yeah if you're going very very close focus then you'll need to tilt the unit down Mm -hmm. 
make sure that when they're at close focus, you're still getting the their head yeah. or where their eyes are. Um, and as they get further away, it's going to start reading further down their body and you need to account for that. Um, but most of the time I get it as low to the lens as possible and as horizontal and parallel yeah. as possible. So that's not too different from from the Cinerity then? Because every now and again, I just I have to adjust the, the, the base unit too, where, yeah. you know, when, when I realize that it's hit, it's hitting the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. but it's like having a, a much narrower beam. Okay, and um, real quick, how how fast can you change out um, between the medium and the and the wide box? Is that you know like a twenty second kind of thing? Just you know unplug and there you go. If you're at a, a magliner and you're doing this the change and everything's right there, then it takes about as long as putting a mat box on a okay. clip on mat box. Is just take the mat box off, put a mat box on. That's the same sort of time as undoing the Light Ranger, plugging it in, putting it back in. Okay, and uh, and as soon as you plug it in, the the system automatically realizes that it's like you know now you're using the medium or the wide or yeah, um, okay. it knows it changes um, when you're changing the lens on your hand unit. Uh, it tells the system so it the system knows what lens you're on. Okay. It knows how wide to make the bars. You've already told it what camera you're on. So when you switch the, the sensor unit it will switch all that information as well okay. so that when you come back to your monitor, everything lines up still. Okay. Um, and then I've also noticed that, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the overlay um, or if you look at the hand unit three, I guess, while using the light ranger, you can still get a, a numerical distance readout, like just as you would with the, with the Cinetape. Um, but since you have 16 bars in there, um, how do you, like, do you have to tell the systems, like, you know, measure that one rectangle and give me the numerical readout for that? Or, like, how do you how do you tell the system what it is supposed to measure and show you? So you have this um, red box, which is what Preston calls the autofocus reading box. Mm-hmm. And you can make that as wide as all 16 fields mm -hmm. and you can make it as narrow as one field and you can move it from the left to right. So you can choose what range you can just do the middle six. Mm -hmm. You can do the left and four. You can move it around with the arrow keys and you can also set near and far limits. Mm -hmm. So you can say, don't focus closer than four feet. Don't focus further than 20 feet. Only look at the right hand five bars and then that's what's going to show up on your numerical distance reading as well. Okay. So if there's anything crosses really close, it ignores it. If the person steps out of frame, it will just give you nothing. It will say there's no reading. Okay. That is that is pretty awesome. So that's basically a – those are like 16, uh, 16 sonar range finders <laughs> that you can choose from. Yeah. Um, oh, that's pretty nice. Oh, like it. Yeah, it's like you've stuck 16 – very narrowed in cinetapes all in a row and you've got them all set up and you can dial in how how far each one is reading yeah is it um do you have uh issues with uh, certain weather conditions um because you said it it's going through glass which is something that i wish the uh cinerity would do but it can't um 
I feel like the rain is sometimes messing with it a little bit. Do you have those same issues with uh, um, with the Light Ranger, or is that is that better? Um, with thick fog and haze, you start having uh, false readings. Oh. Um, these are fairly easy to account for because there is now a, a, a setting in the Light Ranger called defog, oh. um, and that disregards weak signal so it reduces your maximum range so you're not going to be reading at a hundred and something feet plus mm. you're going to be starting to bring that in to like 60 feet 40 feet um, maximum range which is still um, pretty good i would say yeah <laughs> it's it's not bad um with really thick really thick fog you might be 20 feet maximum range okay um with a, a high defog setting and you'll still be getting readings there um, but you'll occasionally get strong readings very close. I mean, sub one foot. Yeah. So whenever I'm working with fog, I make sure that the minimum reading that it will give me is about three foot away or one meter. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my maximum range would be, say, the size of the, size of the room. So you can't get any erroneous readings uh, that isn't in a useful range. Uh, and then the defog helps narrow that down only gives you strong readings so that will you have to stop aiming for the head generally you have to aim at the torso mm -hmm. um, and that will give a nice strong response yeah but do you have the same um because with the with the scenario because uh, you just said you know like kind of tilt it down a little bit and like aim at the at the torso um you know usually in most cases i would say chest and 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 eyes are usually about on the same on the same level um and i usually get very good results from the CNRT. um you know i'm trying to focus on the face obviously but i know it's hitting the the, the chest um is that about the same or do you really try to like actually go for the the face when you're you know when you're trying to focus up on the face um i personally aim the lasers trying to get that sort of re uh, the between the, the nose and the, the lower jaw mm -hmm. and with the lasers because <clears throat> that gives the best parallax as they move away and mm -hmm. as they get really close. So you know, as they get closer, it moves up the head and it gets to the top of the head and as they move further away, it doesn't really go below the neck or the shoulder. I find that the Light Ranger gives you accurate enough results that you can trust it when it's... If you're reading the face, it's going to definitely get you the face. Mm. Um, I found that with... Uh, the uh, full frame, large format, and shallow glass. That if you're not reading exactly where you want the focus, it's going to be off, or it's going to give you. Because the Light Ranger 2 can be so accurate, mm -hmm. if you start trusting it to be that accurate and it's reading something false, then it can really throw you off. And you go, but, but I, I thought I was sharp. And if you can't quite see, Okay. exactly what you're on they can that is one of the downfalls if you start trusting it too much and not looking through the readings okay i see that's interesting that you say that because on the uh on the CNRT, um that's really i use it I, it feels like i use it mostly for movement and you know to get a feel for where an actor is going to land because I mean, let's be honest. The whole like hitting mark, a uh, mark thing is not. Uh, 
they're not too good at that anymore <laughs> these days i feel like um and so they just they tend to stop wherever they feel like and um so that's um you know for the moving like and for landing i think that's really where the where the synergy helps me the most and as soon as they land that's when i i personally go back to the monitor to just double check and see if it's like yeah it, that that is in focus it's fine but i um because every now and again you know you do get a false reading um and so i try not to get too comfortable um relying on the system so that's but what you're saying is you're doing basically the same with the light ranger you're not you're not 100 yeah. relying on it it's just a you know it's a it's a tool that will help you but it's not it's not taking over <laughs> yeah and when you're using the light ranger you're able to check both the numbers and the sharpness of the image at the same time. Mm. And if you start to ignore uh, the bars, start trying not to look at them, but leaving them there, it, they they kind of just happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you're looking at the sharpness of the person, and as they start to move, the bars move. Therefore, your hand just moves by instinct. Okay. And you just kind of it all just happens. But being able to look directly at the image at the same time and adjusting for that. So, oh, I started moving a little bit quick, or the readings are just a you know a bit too far back. You can adjust for that and then have your hold off. So, oh, actually, where is sharp is having the bars just a little bit high. Hmm. So you just change how you place those bars. Yes. And then as you land, you're holding that offset and you're just kind of building that correction of this the small correction of the system in your head okay yeah i i feel like that's that's kind of similar to like how i use the the center t every yeah. now and again you just you adjust there are even sometimes um uh, on my on my last two projects actually i had um um super speeds and you know with older lenses every now and again some of them are not as accurate as others and so you kind of dial the whole set in and it's working but you know after the first week you kind of know it's like okay my my 32 or you know my 50 or whatever i know that they're that they're not as good as the others they're not as perfectly flanged and so then i just sometimes i even um i even adjust with the synergy you know in the hand unit i just go like okay um i just pretend that instead of like the um you know the the film plane offset even if it's five inches i just say it's like okay for this lens it's just f let's just measure with four inches because it just it helps me being more accurate um is that something you can do on the fly as well with the uh with the light ranger that you can that you could technically adjust the the offset quickly does that help you sometimes yes um you can open up the menu and say um set offset by eye and you focus the image until you think it's sharp. You press OK, and then it figures out what that offset is oh, to make sweet. it sharp That's nice. by your um, by your reading. Um, and that can be really useful when you're working with lenses that don't match a certain profile. You know, yeah, there's yeah. parts of them that you know. Okay, so from ten to twenty feet, they're they're dead on the money. Yeah, they're dead yeah. on the mark, but inside that they're off and yeah. you've done your best in prep to make sure that they line up as 
closely as they can, but they do drift. You know, they drift over the job yeah. or they get too hot and they're now off. You can account for that very quickly. That is like, oh, don't worry about what the markings on the lens actually say. Just do this offset and that gets it sharp. Is it perfect? No. But does it get you through the that take and then you can figure it out later? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really like that's almost like a panic button kind of thing. So you can do that like as a as a very quick manual override, like while you're I wouldn't do it during a take. Okay, you wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. That <laughs> was my you could, if you've got a moment just before a take, you know, if somebody if I've done it in the amount of time that they were going to get the board on. Okay. So they put the board in and I did my offset to the board. Cool. Wow. And then clap and we're back to the actor and it it takes a bit of practice getting that quick because you have to open the menu scroll down to it press yeah. the button make sure you're lined up make sure it's sharp yeah. so it can it's a bit of a faff but if you know what you're doing with it if you practice that movement a couple of times it's not too bad okay that's 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 a pretty cool function you can yeah. get it quickly That is really nice. Um, and are there? Uh, have you ever tried the the hand unit four? Like, would there be any significant advantages of uh, like you know using the the hand unit four over the the hand unit three? I've unfortunately not been able to get the hand unit four on a job yet. Mm -hmm. I've played with it at trade shows, and I know people that have it, and it certainly does have uh, advantages: uh, camera control, uh, more in depth being able to separate motor lock ranges and light ranger reading ranges and switching between hybrid readings and autofocus modes and all that sort of stuff really quickly, mm -hmm. all in just one touch of a button. They've got dedicated buttons for a lot of stuff. And being able to control, I think, Venice cameras and uh, red cameras through the hand unit, that's a big advantage. Um, no array control because I believe there's patents on that stuff. Uh, <laughs> because Ari is just like no, I no, think there's a deal between no. <laughs> Ari and C Motion, so that they, I think so too. Yeah. Not allowed to uh, get involved in that because they've got non-exclusivity uh, deal or something. Um, but yeah, the hand unit four does have big advantages, and if you're buying a, a brand new system now, then there's no reason not to get the hand unit four. Um, but for me, I don't have a an urgent need to get the hand unit four. Okay, um, and then because you mentioned autofocus, because um, I mean there is a you know on the scenario you know you, you can do the focus tracking and I and I think as far as I uh, know they're working on like doing the focus tracking or like integrate that um, to become like an actual sort of autofocus if someone's like doing a long walk up or something. Um, is that something that you find yourself uh, using with the Light Ranger a lot? Is Because uh, I think there's also a hybrid mode where you can do both. Is that is that really integrated that well? And is it is it usable in many situations? Or is it sometimes where you just go like, okay, the idea is nice, but I can't really use it. I just, I have to rely on my, on my hand and on my eyes here. The autofocus is incredible but you okay. really have to box it in so what i was saying about setting your your range limits and your width limits you have to pair it in to make sure it's not gonna suddenly jump to something else you know mm -hmm. if somebody does cross frame you need to make sure it's not gonna try and pull to them so you need to know to lock out anything closer than whatever it is um, but in modes or in setups where it's quite simple 
or if it's just a straight push in or any of that kind of nothing too complicated going on but a really difficult shot to get by hand then mm. yeah you can turn on that autofocus and it will probably nail it and it will get it every time you know, if you've got 60 dolly ins and they're really really quick and they stop on a dime try and get it so the light ranger works in auto for you wow. so that it just nails it on the end and you can do it where uh, the light ranger only kicks in at a certain range so you can say oh between 60 and 40 feet i'm going to pull that and then uh, when the light ranger kicks in then it's going to take over okay Wow, but is that something that you think intuitively you can use on 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 say like you have a shot without a rehearsal, or is that something where you should say like no, I definitely need a rehearsal for this because I I find myself um, with the scenario often where it's like I I think I could use the the tracking function here it it would work probably but I, then I'm kind of like too afraid to actually try it because I didn't get a proper rehearsal and then it's like if the actor then does move to the side a little bit, then, you know, I'm going to rack to to the background or something um, um, without wanting to. Um, is that is that something that seamlessly works on the on the Light Ranger? Uh, I get in the habit of setting my ranges so that it can't do that to the background. Mm. Um, so even when there's not a rehearsal, I know that it's probably not going to get a reading to the wall anyway. So if I need to, I can. Uh, hit that auto button i don't hit the auto button much at all mm. um, because i don't feel like i need to because the rest of the light ranger uh, overlay and interface lets me kind of take advantage of those autofocus features but still have that hand on the wheel still have that level of artistry and control um, okay. i have had situations where everything's gone wrong There's been no rehearsal, the video's gone down, and everything's kind of gone to pot. And I turned Wally on, and Wally takes the wheel, and it's fine. Okay, <laughs> wow, incredible. Some, you know, the video kicks back in. I then can take control again. I can line it up, turn also focus off, and then carry on on my own. Okay, and the autofocus, yeah. like you can switch that on and off quickly and easily on the hand unit three. As well as yes. on the hand unit four, okay. Yeah, you can't switch between hybrid and regular auto uh, modes. Um, you have to go into a menu to switch between the two, but you can turn uh, one of them on at a time. Mm -hmm. And the because uh, you said you know it is a steep learning curve, and I, uh, you know the the overlay. Uh, or the 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 menus of like the, the that little overlay box. Um, so there's a, a menu overlay then on your monitor that you will see. Uh, they look like, you know, they look like someone has programmed like a I don't know a Windows 2000 kind of computer. <laughs> um, uh, is that something you get used to quickly? Because it seems like a very It seems it seems it seems like an old Sony camera menu to me. Like that's how how deep it feels, and like it feels like there's a sub menu of a sub menu of a sub menu. Uh, is it something that like you know if you play with it for a couple of days you you get used to it, or is it really is it kind of tricky and complicated? Um, there's no sub menus. It's all just one thing. You open up the menu and you've got everything that you can change oh, okay. all at once. Um, you know, you tell it what camera you're on, you tell it what recording format you're doing and the, the sensor size essentially and 
then it will figure out what your field of view is on every lens. Okay. You, you can tell it uh, how what your offset is. You tell it if there's smoke and how much. Um, that is the biggest learning curve, learning what defog to set so okay. that it knows how many uh, weak signals to ignore. Uh, you can tell it what depth of field you want to calculate off of, you know, what circle of confusion yeah. you're using. Um, and then the rest of the menu is just appearances. Uh, do you want to see the autofocus box? Do you want to see uh, the distance readout box and where your the knob is and, you know, all that sort of stuff? You can turn that on and off and you can change the position of a lot of it. So half the menu is just what you want to see on your overlay. Okay, but so, but you, and you can get used to it fairly quickly, and then it's 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 really straightforward and simple once you understood like what what everything's doing. Yeah, it's it's really simple and it's fairly quick to understand what the menu pieces are. You know, I I teach all of my trainees um, how to open up and set things within the Light Ranger so that if they ever get in a situation where they need to set it up they can do it and i can okay. teach them that in two three minutes oh, okay nice because it looks much com much more complicated like <laughs> on their website or in the in the manual i looked through it i was like this looks yeah this it looks, looks intimidating very, yeah very <laughs> um, yeah no that's good to know though and because you mentioned the uh so it it does work in um in foggy conditions but does it also work in in rainy conditions because that's the one downfall that i really see with the scenario it just doesn't doesn't do well in the rain uh anything that's gonna get in the way or scatter light is going to reduce your range mm -hmm. uh, i've used the light ranger a lot in very foggy conditions and as it gets foggier your the range of the laser gets shorter mm. and the accuracy well not the accuracy but the confidence of that signal it does go down so you only get a reading every tenth of a second rather than every you know hundredth of a second uh, you start getting erroneous readings that are way too close mm -hmm. uh, so you, know, you suddenly get a reading at two foot when there's nothing there so you have to set your near side limit you turn your defog up a bit and then you start getting these consistent slower signals uh where you have talent gotcha uh, so that's definitely something that like you you really have to like be in the field and try and uh and probably fail every now and again and be like damn this that, that was the wrong setting and now uh that that didn't really help me in that last take but but you can probably adjust it uh yeah. now like you know that you've worked with it for a while yeah it's definitely something to adjust between takes uh mm -hmm. i have asked Preston, if they will add a shortcut so you can just turn defog up and down quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not implemented uh, at the moment. Okay, because that's like something that I'm, you know, um, that, that kind of integration is, is I think, the next step. And I think Preston has done a good job already with the with the hand unit four. But like, you know, if you compare it to uh, Airy and their new high five and how the um the synergy is going to be integrated i think that's that's the one thing that i'm looking forward to the most uh with the with the high five is that i'm just i'll be able to like um configure my own user buttons and you know set limits oh, yeah. and whatever and just do all that on the hand unit on the fly during the take because that it's just so important 
yeah, I mean, I would I would see the Hi Five and the CRT being the same sort of integ integration and quality level that the Hand Unit Four and the Light Ranger Two have. I, I think that's that's brilliant. Okay, um, and uh, now you're pulling on a 1303. Is that correct? Uh, no, I'm pulling on a F7H. Okay, because uh, I, I Logic Seven Inch. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and do you still use, um, do you still have the, you know, the peaking or whatever kind of settings you, you like um, that you used to have? Or do you really just look at the plane image now and, you know, you trust the, the rectangle so much that you know it's going to be in focus, even though the, the panel might be a little soft at like at, at some point when you have a, a softer kind of looking lens? I don't have uh, peaking on so much anymore. Just a, a little bit of sharpness and a little bit of extra contrast. Um, but then when the light ranger turns off for like macro shots, I switch on to black and white with red, red peaking, um, mm -hmm. like I used to, and those settings haven't really changed. Um, but I don't have black and white and peaking on with the light ranger. I, it gets too confusing. It's too much going on at that point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, that's uh, awesome. That's great information. Thank you very much for uh, your insight there because I am, um, yeah, I'm very, very curious about it. I see, I see light rangers everywhere uh on instagram um but i uh, for the life of me i just couldn't find an actual like good video where it's like really explained uh in the kind of depth that you just went in there so um uh have you have you ever used it uh on a film shoot as well so on, on 35 or 60 yeah yeah it, it, you know the light ranger within the camera settings you can you can choose 16 mil or 35 mil or you know whatever uh camera format you want i think you can set imax i haven't needed to but mm -hmm. uh, i think you can tell it that you're on an imax 15 puff camera okay you can have it overlay and the video tap won't line up perfectly because of how uh the the gates and how the those little uh, reference cameras uh, line up oh. but it will give you a pretty good idea of what it's reading and what it's looking at and you can fine tune uh exactly you can make the reading a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger okay um and you can use film cameras just fine okay. i've done it on several occasions yeah it works Interesting. Great. okay that's cool that's uh because that was one thing where i was because i uh, they they also i think it even i think it's on the preston website where they kind of call it the uh, I'm not sure how they worded it, but uh, you know, it's like for for the latest digital cinema cameras, it's like this great system, blah blah blah. And you go like, uh, okay, but I'm pretty sure people use this on 35 as well. Okay, so thanks for for clarifying then. Um, and yeah, I mean, even when video goes down and you don't have any video tap coming out of a camera, you can still use the Light Ranger. <laughs> okay, it'll still work even without video feed going into it. So there is that as well. Okay, that was also because you said that earlier that um, in your kit you have hidden or hidden. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce them. I think they're what a Swedish company or something. Yeah, I think hidden. Hidden, but okay. lots of people say say hidden. Hidden. I would I would say hidden because it, like it sounds like heathen. I think that yeah. <laughs> suits me well. Um, yeah. Um. Uh. Can you? And you can use those easily with the uh, with the uh, with the Preston. Is that uh, is that just a serial connection, or how how does that work? Because it's probably not Elbus at this point. Uh, yeah, it's the standard uh, Limo Zero B eight pin okay. uh, connector, uh, the green boot 
connections. Uh, you can connect uh, Hidane motors or Preston motors. As long as they've got the right encoder, it works fine. Um, Hocus products uh, once had a motor called the reflex motor, which was again, very tiny and used the same connection. Mm -hmm. um, Hidane have just come out with, or say just a few, like last year or something, uh, had the LM30, which is a very lightweight, small motor, which has got a the same pin out as regular Preston motors, but like half the size of the actual connection. So you have to get new cables for it, but it does make the, the whole unit very small. And I have one of those um, kind of just for gimbal setups uh, where I want to be really lightweight and then have their big talky cover what it's called 26 T LX, whatever, whatever. Uh, and I have a DM five from Preston as well. Okay. Well, that's really cool though, that, that you have the option of like trying, you know, different motors from different companies, because that probably gives you a lot of, uh, um, options in terms of size and, uh, power. Yeah. And, uh, cause every now and again, you can probably just get away with, with tinier motors. If you don't have large stiff lenses, then, you know, sometimes the, the bigger motors are probably a little, little overkill if you don't really need them. Yeah, uh, I am a bit spoiled with motors on the Preston compared to WC4. Whenever I go back to the WC4 and I, you, you don't have the C-Force Plus or you don't have the uh, RF motor, hmm. I'm like, oh, these these mini motors, they're so tiny, but they're not powerful enough. They're not quick enough. Where's where's the like oomph? I want that responsiveness. Yeah. I mean, they, they still work great, but compared to um, like a DM5, they're not as... Uh, talky and compared to the lm30 they're not as fast and that's also like uh that brings me to the next question when um you know because i used to live in the us for about eight years and so i've seen my fair share of prestons and i've and i've used the hand unit three uh, a couple of occasions uh never really warmed up to it because i'm just so used to the you know being german i'm just <laughs> i'm just used to using airy um but i think what everyone in the Preston Universe says is that the the reliability is just amazing. It's it's built like a tank, which is one thing that actually bothers me, but I think that's what people value <laughs> about it so much. But it also like it never lets you down. That's what everyone says. It just it's a workhorse and it will never ever let you down. It will never uh, lose connection. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Because I always thought that maybe that's just something that is true for the US as they uh, as they're allowed to like use different frequencies or stronger frequencies as they do here in germany so i think uh, that has something to do with it but uh, is that some the same in the uk do you like do you feel like it's basically indestructible and it always works um there's always the laws of physics that you're fighting against so yeah when it comes to uh, radio frequencies uh, the americans are allowed to use much more powerful uh, rf than we are mm -hmm. uh, you know the the new high five module there with the big aerial coming out the top that's mm -hmm. not allowed in the uk yep, uh, because it's it's too powerful um and with the, the preston you can set it to us mode uh still here and it's you're not going into illegal territories but you're definitely going you know you're you're starting to damage other radio frequency uh integrity around you if you go into those high modes um Well, as long as you're not uh, messing with your, you know, with your 
with your own other frequencies that are important yeah. for camera, I would say do it. Cause yeah, I think it's just the sound department <laughs> that gets a little bit annoyed with you. Exactly, um, totally fine, totally fine. Uh, team sport. Uh, when you've got a Preston, yeah, it is much more robust than a, a lot of other systems. Mm -hmm. It does mean it's heavy. You know, it does, you know, the hand unit three, I know how heavy that is. My left hand certainly knows how heavy that thing is <laughs> after, you know, six weeks of having it uh, in my hand because I don't mount it to the stand. Um, that is a concern when mm -hmm. you're you know, rigging the camera or you're uh, going to be holding this thing for uh, a long job. But uh, even when there is an issue with the Preston and, you know, it's still electronics, stuff can still go wrong. Yeah. Um, you can still get water ingress and stuff get damaged. Even when you have issues, you can generally pop it open and fix it yourself on site in about five minutes. I've had my screen uh, come to completely detached from the ribbon cable at the back uh, okay. after being loaded on a low loader and it just got shaken to bits. So I opened the back plugged the screen back in, closed it back up again. And yeah, it needed some parts resoldered, but it still worked. It was, you know, one day back at optical support and it got fixed. You that know. is fairly impressive because I, um, I've i never attempted to open up a WCU4, but uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's that easy <laughs> to, yeah. uh, to work in a WCU4 like that. Uh, there uh, are some issues when you go uh, reverse polarity. So you need to be careful about what cables you're using because you can still blow up uh, MDR or you can blow up a Light Ranger okay. if it gets fed the wrong polarity. You know, my uh, Light Ranger 2M got taken down at uh, the beginning of this year uh, because one of the cables was faulty uh, and that uh, blew up the M. Okay. So that had to get sent back to America to get fixed. But that was quite an extreme case. That was a very dodgy cable that immediately met the bin. Okay. <laughs> um, and then also, um, be just because we were on the topic of like annoying other uh, departments um, with the with the CineRT and um, I think especially with the CineTape, um, I've had the occasional complaint from the sound department um, because they're saying that you know they they kind of hear the ultrasound waves um, on the on the lav mics on on actors. Um, but the, I mean, just to clarify, the the Light Ranger is really just an optical thing. There's no ultrasound involved whatsoever. It's really like you, you can't annoy anybody with this, right? Yeah, no, you, you can't. Okay. Uh, you can't annoy the sound department by shaking the crystals within the microphones that they're using. Yeah. I would say um, that's actually, uh, that's a big plus for the uh, for the CineRT then. I would say go for the CineRT just to, <laughs> just to mess with the sound department. <laughs> well, with the CineRT, you can turn down the the output signal so you can yeah you can I, tell it to be a bit quieter and not annoy your co-workers yes you know, i um yeah i had help to you you help them it's all exactly lovely, I had to, exactly i had to find some some workarounds and it usually uh, usually you, you you find it but it's um and it's odd because there are jobs where you know i don't i don't care about it at all and nobody says anything and then there are other jobs where on the first day someone is like hey this thing is like really messing with my mics um so it's, it, it, I'm not sure if there's different types of mics that kind of react differently to the to the sound yeah, waves or whatever. It's, it is. Uh, Sennheisers are particularly prone. Uh, it's all to do with the size of the crystal within the uh, microphone 
uh, bellows. Oh, okay. Because uh, it's it's not actually hearing the ultrasonic directly. It just happens to be the same size as the crystal, as oh, the wavelength gotcha. of the sound. So it's like physically shoving that crystal with a resonance and like some soundy got really technical with me. And I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. And uh, I'll make sure I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember more than I did. I mean, um, no, I, that's why I love doing this podcast so I can learn uh, yeah. from people like you. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I think we, uh, we've definitely covered uh, enough of the... Uh, light ranger like i'm certainly smarter than i was uh, about an hour ago um all right let's uh move on a little bit and and this is really up to you if you want to talk about this but like i um like i said in that email i would like to give you the, the platform if that's something that you know you're uh you want to talk about um because you uh on on instagram i saw that you know you uh, describe yourself as non-binary and um and i can only assume that you know especially in the film industry where you kind of like have a lot of old school rude especially male uh, colleagues uh that that might sometimes be a struggle um if that's something you want to talk about and 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 say a few words about um you know this is your platform if there's uh, something you would like to say to to uh others who feel like you um this is you know tell them yeah yeah um being non-binary uh and using they them pronouns mm. uh It is a bit of a a tiring thing on on set if you're with people that aren't receptive to it. You know, coming out, you know, on a commercial, you're different career every day. So coming out every day and saying, my name is Steel, my pronouns are they, them, and that just gets ignored and they call you whatever they, they call you or that gets a bit tiring, but a lot of the time there's actually a quite positive reaction mm -hmm. uh people you know on shows where i've come out very early on you know the day one and it's been a longer project and that's just kind of been taken on people respect it and uh that's that's lovely and just feels like uh, i don't know how to describe that it's just uh actually being treated like a human being it's is quite wonderful um, no i think it's just really like you know when people make the because I, i i have to admit like i have one friend who's non-binary and it took me it took me forever because when i met them <laughs> but when like yeah. back in the day i met her um because that you know she she didn't uh describe herself or or found herself as non-binary back in the day and so i had to like because it was the same yeah, the person to me and then i had to relearn yeah. it and that was also the yeah, first the time is... and that was really yeah. tricky but i mean she was you know she was great about they <laughs> you see there you go um, yeah, they the, were the, great the about it because it, it it took me and, and everybody else um who was in that circle of friends like it it just took us a while um and it still does because it, if you don't have many people um that you work with or um you know in your closer circle of friends um then it's just you're so used to like two pronouns that that just gets it gets a little tricky yeah. um but uh do you feel there's a there's a difference between like the older generation and the and the newer generation or um are you surprised about like how many uh you know like i don't know gaffers in their 50s say um 
are actually really sensitive about this and like um, you know do their best at least to to address you the right way. So I, I always try and approach it with a an element of uh, grace and uh, understanding. Like I know that I might be the first non-binary person that they've met, and mm. the whole concept of uh, they them pronouns might be a bit alien to them. So I'm, I'm always you know forgiving, and you know, if they mess up, that's fine. Like as long as it's not vindictive, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with a couple mess ups. And, you know, some people will get really over the top with apologizing. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. Just move on. Like I misgender myself. I misgender <laughs> dogs. I misgender all sorts of things all the time. And it's totally fine. You just kind of correct yourself and move on. And that's, that's the important thing, not to dwell on it, not to be spiteful about it. Um, I found that actually, Weirdly, a lot of the 50-year-old uh, grips and, you know, some of the older grips, they've got kids that are non-binary. <laughs> so oh, okay. they're already, like, super on top of it. I mean, some of them are, oh, interesting. you know, curmudgeons, but uh, a good number of them have got kids that are non-binary or uh, have friends that are queer. And they're very, you know, especially in London, there's a lot of people that are very open about it, very uh, on the ball. Okay, well, that's good yeah. to hear. And um, but do you also face like any you know real issues with it, um, where where people just get you know mean and, and and harass you? Is that is that also a thing on set, or is that? Uh, I mean, I hope it's it's not a thing, but you know, you, there are all sorts of people um, out there. When I first came out, uh, and I was working in fashion all those years ago, um, that was where I found uh, the the issues uh, within fashion film there's there was a lot of like you need to disappear and you shouldn't exist and you're here to plug in cables and then you need to not be there so don't tell us what your pronouns are we don't even care what your name is if you're gonna okay like wear different things if you're gonna wear a skirt then you're fired like it's it was very tricky in that so i i mean once i got out of uh, that sort of high fashion Italian Vogue style uh, job. I moved more into the, the narrative. I felt more comfortable uh, okay. being out, uh, but it did knock the confidence quite a lot. Uh, and I was basically re-closeted on set okay. for a couple of years after uh, that because of the bad experiences there. Okay, and then yeah, do you think that, that I'm more confidence exactly? That's what I was uh, going to ask you. Do you think that it's a, a confidence thing as well? That at some point, you know, you've you you've introduced yourself um, to a new crew like often enough, where you just say, you know, I've done this so many times, I I know what to yeah. expect, even in the worst case, and it's just you know that's who I am, and I'll just I'll just throw it out there, and I you know at some point you must stop caring probably what what even if there is someone thinking negative about it. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, it's the you introduce yourself and you hope that people respect it. But if they don't, then I'm with a completely different set of people tomorrow. So mm. whatever. <laughs> I That's, might not uh, ever see that person ever again. Like it's that is uh, that. definitely part of the beauty of our jobs. Like if you do have a shit crew, you can uh, forget about Quite it. easily avoid them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that yeah. is definitely one of the one of the upsides. Um, sometimes it's sad though when you have a really good group of people and then uh, you're like, ah, I'm gonna miss these people. But 
it is what it is. Um, yeah, well, that's why you add them to Focus Puller at work and you make WhatsApp groups and you... <laughs> exactly. You can keep up with them. Okay, but I'm glad to hear that, um, you know, for you, um, you know, you, you had to go through some struggle, but, you know, you, you definitely, I think, it, it sounds like you found a place where um, you're, that it's definitely, uh, you're being accepted um, pretty much every time you uh, introduce yourself that way. And that I think that's awesome. Um, and it's kind of awesome to hear that people are, you know, becoming more and more open-minded. And especially like, you know, like you said, you have even older grips who, um, you know, their own children may be uh, queer or non-binary. And then um, you might be like completely positively surprised and going like, oh, did not expect, uh, you know, uh, a 50-year-old grip, uh, like, you know, like an old school yeah. kind of grip to be uh, that open-minded. I think that's, that's very, uh, to me, that's very cool to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful when that, that lines up. Um, so uh, the last question I usually like to uh, ask um, is: Can you uh, let all of us know, um, you know, one of the the best pieces of advice that uh, you've been given by anyone in the camera world, be it a DP or another camera assistant or whatever? Like, what what do you think is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? I mean, it, it might have to be that. Um, Yeah, I think the bit of advice is uh, pulling focus is only 10% of your job and the rest of it is dealing with managing your team. Like 90% of your job is interpersonal rather than technical. Do you think that, um, was that a steep learning curve for you? Because I, I, I find myself struggling with that still where, um, you know, I do love the technical side of the job and I do love pulling focus itself. Um, but yeah, dealing with, uh, with the management side of things, um, and kind of like being the head of the department and, uh, what I struggled with the most is especially when, when it's a job that isn't that great and you kind of struggle, like, because you're not, you're not kind of like getting any sort of motivation coming from, from your DP. And then you, you have to kind of like still motivate the rest of your crew, um, yeah. which is very, very hard for me. So I struggle with that a lot. Um, I'm not sure. Is that the same same for you still? I mean, it's, it's always tricky being a manager and learning how to manage a team. Other industries have courses where they teach you how to be a manager. And the film industry doesn't really teach you how to be how to deal with the teams. Mm. Um, so, I mean, a good bit of advice is if you're entering the industry as a, as a trainee, be a trainee for a while and learn how to manage a team from a good second AC. And then once you're a second AC, learn, stay in that role for a long time and learn from a good focus puller how to manage a team from that side of things and how to be managed. Um, one thing I found was that I stepped up quite quickly and that, was where I was lacking. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's taken me a long time to get to that point of managing a team again, to a point that I feel uh, adequate. And yeah, I still have some jobs where I don't feel like I've done a good managering, managerial role. Uh, and then some jobs where it's everything's going really well, uh, not necessarily on production side, but from a dealing with my team 
you know, making sure everybody's happy, making sure everybody's learning, making sure every, you know, nobody's feeling hard done by or overworked. Huh. And yeah. I, f- I feel like it's always like a, a, a learning curve. Um, and even from the, uh, I would say from the shittier jobs that, that really don't go too well for you and your team. Um, I think it's important to always like take something away from even the negative experiences and like learn and grow a little bit and say, okay, I've been in the situation before. If that happens again, you know, I've been in the situation yeah. before and here's how I should act differently this time. And, uh, so I think even, you know, t- what I'm trying to say is I think like even take the, the negative experiences and like make them count because otherwise you, you went through yeah. all this shit for pretty much nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. Taking those bad, bad experiences and the things that, you know, I messed up and being able to go, okay, here is how I move on from that. Here is what I learn. Here are the lessons I've taken from this. Um, how do I make sure this never happens again? You know, going through that very matter of factly, especially if there's somebody that you've you've hurt or you've insulted or you've had an issue with or didn't manage well, being able to sit down with them and talk to them about uh, very matter of factly, like, look, I messed up. Here is how I messed up how can we make sure i don't do that again how do we make sure we that, move on that kind of uh, like reflecting on yourself i think is is a very important thing in there um where i have the feeling uh, a lot of people are not able to do that at all and every now and again i struggle with it myself but i'm i'm really trying to like after every job be like okay like let's i mean if, if you have some downtime after a longer feature and things didn't go right like take a week think about it and then and then really reflect on yourself. I really like really take the time, like take half a day and just reflect on like how you acted in different uh, or certain scenarios. And, uh, and I don't know, try, try to do better next time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, yeah. Great advice. Um, thank you very much. I think, uh, thank I you, think that, that concludes today's episode, man. That was uh, very, very, very helpful. And uh, thank you for uh, sharing your, your knowledge. It was great. It's a pleasure. And that's it for today's episode of the Focus Polarity Work Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Steel for being my guest. Well, folks, I really enjoyed it. And if you like our podcast, please consider to subscribe to it and leave us a nice review. If you have criticism, questions, concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the pod yourself, please send us an email to info at focuspolaridwork.com. Also, the pod now has an Instagram page because that's where so many of you cool cats hang out. Please follow at fpaw underscore podcast and let's connect there. Well, that's it for today and I hope I'll catch you next time.